0: Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, January 3rd, marks our 87th program and our first of 2018, so I just wanted to start by. Wishing everyone a happy new year and hope your 2018 is off to a great start. We we know ours is in in team ACTIS here. So my name is Brian Murphy, director of ACTIS, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, New Approaches in DRG Validation. I'm joined today by my co-host at LEFT. regular appearance on the show in our first of 2018, Laurie Prescott. She is our CDI Education Director for us here at Actus in Middleton, Mass. Uh, Laurie's the developer and lead instructor for our Actus Boot Camp line. Uh, she's a former CDI manager and nursing manager, uh, recently authored the CDI uh, the Essential Guide to Supporting Quality Care Measures Through Documentation Improvement and is now working on a second edition, which I'm hearing is coming out in 2018, of our popular CDI Specialist Complete Training Guide. So uh, welcome to the program, Laurie.
1: Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here.
0: All right. Next, I'd like to introduce uh, today's industry guest, a new, a new face to Actus Radio. We have with us Autumn Ryder. Um, Autumn is an RN, BSN, CCDS, CDIP, and CCS. Um, she has a nursing background that includes ICU, labor and delivery, and school nursing. She transitioned into CDI more than six years ago, uh, served as a CDI specialist, and eventually as the clinical coordinator for a CDI program in Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, she's been busy with ACTIS, serving as the Virginia State Actus local chapter leader from 2015 to 2016. She reminded me earlier on our call today that she did present at our 2013 Actus annual conference in Nashville, uh, but currently she serves as director of CDI staffing service Trust HCS where she works with clients from multiple facilities to serve uh, excuse me, to serve in their staffing and auditing needs. And she's here with us today to talk about uh, DRG validation. So welcome to the program, Autumn.
2: Thank you so much.
0: All right. We're going to start, as we always do, uh, with Actus Radio with a uh, poll related to today's topic. I'll ask you to weigh in on this poll, and we will come back to the results after our interview with Autumn. Uh, The question reads, um, does your CDI department perform DRG validation? Your options are yes, with CDI staff holding final responsibility for that assigned DRG. Maybe it's yes in conjunction with your HIM coding, more of a collaborative process. Um, Perhaps you, you answered no, but it's an HIM coding function, not a CDI one. Uh, We don't validate DRGs at all, or not applicable for those that aren't working in the hospital setting. Again, does your CDI department perform DRG validation? Is it yes, with the CDI staff holding final responsibility, yes, in conjunction with HIM coding? Uh, No, it's an HIM coding function entirely. No, we don't validate DRGs at all, or not applicable. All right, I'm showing about 75% of our audience voting, so I'm gonna go ahead and close out the poll and we will uh, come back to these results, as we always do after our interview. All right, so let's get started, uh, Autumn, on today's topic. We've got a lot to cover here and and a topic I know we could talk about probably all day, but um, maybe you could start just by providing our listeners sort of a the definitions of DRG validation in and in a historical perspective on how this process has, has typically worked in the healthcare setting, to so maybe set the stage for, for our discussion here.
2: Sure. Well, you know, like you said, DRG validation can mean many things in many different arenas, but I think right now um, how a lot of CDI um, groups are looking at it is a correct final code of that encounter. So. After everything is said and done, that DRG is the best that represents that patient encounter, the treatment they received, um, and basically paints the picture for that patient. Um, Traditionally, I think that a lot of this was done just via coding audits. You know, perhaps a hospital had quite a few um, denials in an area or they saw an uptake on certain DRGs they went in and took a second look, usually retrospectively, saying, you know, why did this occur? Are we coding these correctly? You know, is there education that needed to be provided? Um, But nowadays, it seems that we're doing these a lot more in a concurrent setting. So before we are even sending out that final bill, CDI is getting involved in taking a look, making sure that, you know, the clinical indicators are there to validate that DRG that the correct um, principal diagnosis was selected overall. You can start by doing this in many different fashions, um, but I think initially where people start out is looking at areas of concern. So like I mentioned before, maybe there's a higher than normal volume of a certain DRG. Um, maybe we're taking a look at our PEPPER report findings, and you know there's some outliers that the facility is falling into, whether it be diagnosis-wise, um, a sole CC or MCC capture rate, some really short lengths of stay where the DRG just doesn't seem to be appropriate for that length of stay. Um, and so you can go about this in so many different fashions, but I think what we're learning from it is that in doing these validations, whether it be you know through DRG reconciliation with CDI encoding or an audit prior to um, those bills being released or even Doing a retrospective review, that it's giving us a, a good way to look for educational opportunities for our CDI and our providers.
0: Mm. Thanks, Autumn.
1: As I'm listening to you, Autumn, you know, it's evident that you're advocating that CDI get involved in that process of DRG validation, which my guess is for some of our listeners, that might be an area that they haven't expanded into. Can you explain why and what type of process um, you might see with CDI driving that validation process, what it might look like, or what, what if you had seen work well in the industry?
2: Sure, um, you know, I always like to say that two sets of eyes are better than one. So with that validation, especially doing it concurrently prior to final bill, it lets you once again make sure that the codes that are on that final coding uh, summary are correct and they're validated and so i would really advocate for the fact of doing that second level review and i know that it's likely next to impossible that you could do it for every chart but take a look and know where your areas of opportunity potentially lie and go through a, and you know maybe start small and build your way up um, Mm -hmm. I think really one of the benefits of CDI being part of this DRG validation is that we come with that clinical perspective and we know how important that is um, in validating DRGs and diagnoses. Um, We look for the treatments that support um, the principal diagnosis leading to a DRG assignment and other key components that are essential for that correct uh, assignment of codes. You know, we not only can look for that, but we also then have an opportunity to either help coding query for uh, a potential diagnosis that was not clear or something that, you know, is questionable or have CDI themselves do it in that validation, depending, you know, on how the facility handles that. Um, DRG reconciliation can take on many different avenues. Um, Like I had mentioned before, if you have a reconciliation, conciliation process that uh, your CDI group is doing with coding, that's a great way to start. You know, take a look at the final bill as a CDI, make sure you match. If it doesn't, what happened? Now, sometimes we all know that there's subsequent documentation that comes into play and it changes things or maybe the patient had a procedure after the fact of us doing our last review. But if that didn't occur, it allows us to take a look and see, you know, was the correct assignment done? Is there something that CDI and coding need to talk about? Were there indicators that led us as a CDI to believe that the principal diagnosis and therefore the DRG should be one thing compared to what coding has? Um, I just think it's a really great opportunity in that aspect to work together as a team. Um, But if you don't have a reconciliation process, you can go about selecting DRGs in the various ways that I mentioned before. Maybe you have one that you've gotten a lot of denials on. Say it's sepsis, acute respiratory failure, and you want to take a look and get a good sampling of what's going um, out the door. See if those are all clinically validated diagnoses. Um, you know, maybe it's a pepper report. Maybe you had an external audit done, and they showed you, you know, findings that didn't seem to match out, to match up to cohort hospitals in the area. Maybe you're seeing that, you know, you have a lot of cases going out the door with sole MCC, sole CCs, or not a CC or an MCC at all. And you want to concentrate on those areas. What I would suggest is start small and build your way up to looking at more reviews. And each time you do that, you can provide education.
0: Nice. Thanks. Thanks, lot. Great processes you described. You know, a lot of them obviously will, as you've mentioned, um, involve a sort of a, a good working relationship between coding and CDI. You know, especially if, it, uh, as, as you've mentioned, they sometimes they involve clinical issues, sometimes coding issues. I know that the, the reality is, unfortunately, there is still some uh, you know, turf wars, battles over this in the industry. Maybe a CDI department is relatively new in a hospital. Coding has traditionally held this function. Now it's going to be sort of a joint function. You know, how do you manage that relationship? Do you have any suggestions for, um, you know, c- coming up with a process that involves both pair of eyes, like you mentioned, and 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 how ultimately would you resolve a particularly problematic case where it's maybe a gray area that's it's not clear whether it's you know um, more of a, a clinical reality of the case or the way the DRG should fall, and there and there is some disagreement that maybe can't be resolved.
2: Well, you know, definitely, I think we've all realized that CDI departments and coding departments and, you know, for that matter, quality, none of us can be siloed anymore. In order for us to be effective and to get the best outcome for the patient and for the facility we're working for, we need to function as a team. So I think promoting that team atmosphere is essential coming from leadership. Um, I think it's a good idea to promote CDI and coding education together. Maybe you have a monthly meeting where CDI and coding leadership both come together and say, What are the issues that you're seeing? We bring everyone to the table, we discuss it. You know, is there documentation that uh, coding feels that maybe CDI is missing that we're not grabbing or asking a query for that we need to? In turn, Maybe, you know, we help educate coding on some of the clinical indicators and the aspects that we're looking at from a CDI perspective. I think another good way to make bonds and join the team is to have CDI coding buddies. So if it's applicable to your facility and you can do it, you know, you have a CDI that goes to this coder. They develop that relationship. They go back and forth. They'll be reconciling their charts together. But it gives them the opportunity to definitely learn from each other. And then again, like I said, that reconciliation process, I think that's really essential to getting everybody to come to the table and look and see that we're aiming for the same goal. So if we did have a mismatch, why did this occur? Let's talk it out and educate. There's always gonna be those times where we have to either agree to disagree or escalate it to leadership um, to have it further reviewed. But from what I'm seeing now industry-wide, it really seems like people are starting to understand that the team approach approach is the best approach for this
1: mm-hmm. i Thanks, I like everybody. that i'm for I'm forever teaching team approach, so I love that that's um what you stress in your process when um you know we've all, we've got just a few minutes left here. If you can maybe give us um some examples of where you go for data for benchmarking, you've kind of mentioned this already um with the pepper data. Um, how do you benchmark um, DRG assignment by discharge and comparing yourself um, to other hospitals when it comes to your
2: DRG assignments and the trends that you're seeing? Well, you know, like I have mentioned quite a few things, the PAPA report, um, doing uh, reviews based on volume, um, denials. Now there is software out there that, you know, if you have a vendor that can supply that for you, that's great, it's very valuable. I mean, you can take a look and see what hospitals A, B, and C are doing in your area um, and compare, you know, are you capturing the same diagnoses? Do you have a much higher uh, admission rate for sepsis? You know, how are you looking compared to them? Um, If you don't have that data, you know, you can always look um, on other publicly-reported areas. Maybe you want to really focus in on your PSIs or your HACs. Well, that's publicly-reported data. And you can go and do another comparison to the area around you and say, where are we standing? Why do we look like we are either you know, lower than expected or higher than expected in these areas? And does, does it pertain to the documentation? But what I would really caution you on always comparing yourself to someone else is that every hospital has a, a very specific patient population that they serve. And just because a hospital that's 50 miles down the road with the same number of beds is picking up you know, so many more CCs or MCCs for a certain DRG, you may need to work on your documentation, but it also may be patient-derived. Maybe your population just doesn't support those additional diagnoses. So be careful with comparing, but know that it is a good benchmark for yourself, and understand that you know, sometimes where we think our problems lie are not always where they're really at. So it may take some digging in doing a couple different sets of DRG validations to really see where the education needs to be performed.
0: All right, you. All know, right. Maybe if you don't mind, Autumn, I'll try to work in a question here. Um, we got, we got some really good ones that um, I'll be able to get to them all, but we have like people who are describing kind of their processes and what has worked and what hasn't worked for validation. We have someone who writes that. Um, Currently our organization had a change in the DRG validation process. I'll throw this at you too Laurie, see what you think. But you know, previously DRG validation was performed by both CDI and coding anytime there was a DRG mismatch. Now DRG validation is performed primarily by coding at HIM and CDI is included in the process only when a CDI query exists on the chart and and she writes as a cdi i find that coding is often missing or leaving out very valuable codes and her sequencing opportunities as a direct result of this change and they're also seeing some selective coding based on fear of denial which we know is a reality so mm-hmm. yeah any idea to help this person out with their with their dilemma here maybe they're feeling like they're, they should be more involved as a cdi and they, they could be helping um they're obviously facing some pressure in the way the hospitals change their their system for the for the back end uh, review here. Um,
2: I would maybe wonder, you know, why did the policy change to begin with? Um, did they not have enough staff to cover um, the validations? Um, did they think it was taking up too much time? But really, I would, you know, have her advocate for CDI being involved. And if that takes going through back data, to show them, you know, this reconciliation occurred and, you know, after we discussed it out and we reviewed it with coding, we had this change, you know, the relative weight was this, or we were able to clarify that this wasn't um, a hospital-acquired condition that occurred. And sometimes it takes some digging and it takes some work, but I think really showing how valuable CDI in this process is, um, is what's going to let you back into um maybe more reviews or being part of that process more
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's great showing showing evidence and showing ways that they could have made a difference had they been involved i think is a is a good starting point there any any comments there laurie at all
1: no I, I i completely agree with what autumn's saying and as she said earlier the more eyes that look at the chart probably the higher benefit for the organization um I do think the important question to ask is why have you made, have you made that change in policy? Was it due to conflict, which can be addressed in a, di- a number of different levels? Um, because the process of reconciliation can lead to conflict as we've talked about before um, earlier. And, you know, if that's the issue, that can be handled very differently. Don't, don't try to fix the problem by creating a new problem. So. Um, if it's an right. issue with staff not working well together, fix that and see if you can continue the process of DRG validation being a shared shared process. We all bring different skills to the table. We need to support each other in that process.
0: Yeah, you're right. And it, it could be something, too, like the DNFB is was being too long and they needed to get some of these claims mm-hmm. out. And maybe the, the old process was holding them up too long. I don't know. But, but more investigation needed. But that's a good place to start, I think, is getting at the why there. All right, let's um, let's go ahead and share our poll results again. Again, we asked our attendees, um, "Does your D I, excuse me, does your C D I department perform D R G validation?" So, seven percent say yes, with C D I staff holding final responsibility for that validated D R G. Fifty nine percent, clear majority here, do this in conjunction with H I M coding. So, good sign there. Eighteen uh, percent, though, say no. Um, It's an HIM coding function only, with another 14% not validating DRGs at all, uh, and 3% not applicable to their situation. So, those are our poll results. Maybe I'll start with you, Autumn, and then turn it over to Laurie. Anything here surprise you, or what would you say about our our, uh, first poll results here of 2018?
2: No, I don't think there's a surprise. I think that 59% is very encouraging. Of course, we would like to see you know more facilities doing it sometimes it's a matter of staffing or policy but i think 59 percent is outstanding i mean it, it definitely lets you know that cdi is taking a look and knowing that second reviews or that validation is important and like i said before catching it on the front end um seems to be you know a wave that we're seeing in a lot of the cdi programs
0: right Will you, Laurie, any comments on this?
1: Yeah, I was encouraged with the 59%. Um, I kind of focused in on that 7% that state CDI staff holds the final responsibility. Um, and that's an issue. I would rather see it in conjunction with HIM and coding working together. Um, your coding professionals um, should be the ones that best understand the rules of coding and DRG assignment and I would hate to see them not be part of that final discussion when it comes to the DRG assignment. So that 7% kind of made me think, what's actually going on at that facility? But I do like the
0: 59%. All right, great. Well, thanks, guys. Um, We're going to move on now to our In the News segment. Again, uh, In the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Uh, figured, speaking of DRGs and kind of tied in today's topic, um, I received the following email recently from a CMS listserv that I belong to. Um, I'll actually show you guys how to, if you haven't subscribed to the uh, MLN listserv, it's uh, free and it's a service of CMN, CMS. It's called MLN Connects, so this is the actual page uh, after the show, as I usually do, I will put this link in the uh, program show notes um, that we post on actus.org along with the recording. But you can can sign up and subscribe right here to MLN Connects. So if you're not getting this, you should. It's a free service and it's coming from the top. And usually there's some helpful information here. Um, This particular article relates to, uh, it's right here on your screen, Medicare hospital claims avoid coding errors reminder. So it's basically CMS recapping and sharing some uh, reports by the OIG citing significant issues leading to coding errors on the Medicare hospital claims. We're not gonna go over modifier 59, more of a um, outpatient coding issue, important, but uh, I wanted to share this one today. This one was in regards to uh, Medicare improperly paying hospitals for beneficiaries who would not receive 96 or more consecutive hours of mechanical ventilation. So this article links to that link goes to this OIG article. Would recommend you check it out. Um, Again, it is regarding uh, a couple of DRGs that are related to mechanical ventilation, specifically MSDRGs 207 and 870. Uh, This is a fairly lengthy report, so too much to summarize here, but just in summary um what the OIG states in this report is that for MSDRG's 207 and 878 to be assigned to a claim beneficiary must have received 96 or more consecutive hours of mechanical ventilation um, hospital indicates that a beneficiary has met this requirement by using the procedure code 96.72 um obviously an um, ICD-9 code there um if a beneficiary received fewer than 96 hours of mechanical ventilation, beneficiary stay is assigned to an ms with a lower severity level and a lower payment. Uh, the claim should include the beginning and ending dates of the hospitalization, which defines the beneficiary's length of stay in days, should also include the date mechanical ventilation started. Um, and so, the, CMS, excuse me, the OIG did a review prompted by our previous review of claims with lengths of day, length of stay four days or fewer. Uh, CMS did implement a new claim processing system edit for continuous invasive mechanical ventilation of 96 hours or more and effective October 1st 2012 claims with procedure code 96.72 and a length of stay fewer than four days or more or less kick back to the provider for
1: validation and resubmit.
0: Hello,
1: Laurie and on. Hi, Brian. Now I hear you. Oh, I was just typing I in just a message, I, but I seem to have lost oh audio. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I dropped out there. Well, regardless, sorry about that, guys. I don't know what happened there. A little audio difficulty. 2018. Hi, television. <laughs> you never know what can happen. Uh, this, this is a. It's just an interesting report to check out about that um, MSDRGs 207 and 870, and making sure that you have. Um reported accurately, Procedure Code 96.72, um, and have 96 consecutive hours of mechanical ventilation on these claims, or the OIG is going to deny them. Um, this resulted in $1.4 million of overpayments, according to the OIG. Um, just wondering what you guys thought, Autumn and Lori, of this report and this claim. Um, do you have any advice for those struggling with this issue? maybe suggestions that you've seen that cdi could get that vent time documented i know that procedure okay. review is not always a focus for cdi but for these types of cases you you can see the importance there
2: um i've, I've I seen errors in timing for the vent. i don't know if i've seen the percentage that they're speaking to um but i would just say you know for your facility to try to get a standardization so that documentation is easy and clear to find and that CDI um, understands the timing of events, and even if that discussion needs to be held with coding as well, just to make sure everyone is on the same page.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think standardization is a big thing, especially with electronic health records, Um, making sure that there's that one place where your, your vent times are documented, so time of intubation and time of extubation and making sure that people understand how important it is to document that consistently. Um, I see a lot of times what happens uh, with um, insurance denials is they will go in, and if there's not consistency in the times that are documented, so the respiratory therapist says the patient was intubated at 10 a.m., and the physician says the patient was intubated at 11.30 they're gonna default to the shortest window as an auditor. So we wanna make sure that everybody's consistently documenting the same. And that might mean that you make sure that one um, staff member is the one that does the documentation for the time. So one specialty, maybe it's only the respiratory therapist that, that document that or only the physician. whoever you can um, deem as the most reliable source to make sure that those times are documented consistently and in the same spot within the record. And CDI can do a lot concurrently to make sure that that's clear um, so that by the time it gets to the coder, hopefully there's no um, issues.
0: All right, well, great stuff. Thanks, guys, for reviewing that report and covering up for my little audio glitch there. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap up with uh, an Actus update. Uh, Actus update is uh, a segment of the show bringing you what's going on inside of Actus. Just want to remind our folks that about our CCDS exam prep class, this is a relatively new class we offer to help folks prepare for the CCDS exam. We cover the major content categories on the exam uh, in detail over this two day class. Uh, we offer it throughout the country live as well as online. Our first our first uh, boot camp of the year is coming up in uh, Las Vegas. So a good, great place to get away for the winter. If you're here on the East coast, like us, you're getting slammed with some horrible weather. Um, If you'd like to check that out, that is January 22nd and 23rd. If you're thinking about pursuing certification, this is a great place to start. It's taught by our instructors. Uh, We also cover um, real world study strategies and uh, we also, you know, have a lot of experience in, in terms of how the exam is administered and, and really get you getting prepared as well as you can for the for the CCDS exam so check it out if you haven't already or, or refer it on to your staff all right we're going to um, wrap up here at this point again i uh, want to thank folks for joining us for our first show of 2018 we've got a great full schedule coming up for you uh, for the year really looking forward to uh, what we have to offer you in 2018. As I always say, your ideas are great. In fact, this next show we have coming up is the result of a couple of questions I've received about encephalopathy. So we're going to go ahead with a sort of a combination of a clinical topic with some of the uh, popular mailbag show that we did a few weeks, uh, a few months ago, back in November with some encephalopathy. We're going to be getting uh, James Kennedy of CDIMD who presented on this topic for us on Actis Radio back in July of 2020. 2016 16 to to join us again for uh for the show so keep those questions coming those ideas coming and we'll try to meet them um so that will do it for today's actus radio again want to thank autumn for being on the show today some great great insight and suggestion autumn and uh thank you as always and we will see you guys back here again in two weeks take care everyone